Good evening. Uh, this evening we'll do something a little bit differently. We'll have uh, um, questions for Sokazan from the Sukansu, which is uh, Chezan. He's a he is the uh, Sukansu or prior of the monastery, and is a transmitted priest. We'll start out with uh, some questions from from Chezan, uh, and then we'll have questions from others, uh, both for me. Uh, and for uh, Chezan, if you have them. Thank you, Sheed. I wanted to ask um, more about the Bodhisattva vow and path this evening. When uh, coming to the practice, it seems that the inspiration for most of us is a tremendous amount of suffering. And we come to the path thinking that we will have relief from that. And I wanted to know on the Bodhisattva path, what is cessation of suffering? It's going to show up differently for different people, causes and conditions or karma that you personally bring to the path and show up differently. Basic response for that is uh, serve others. So the suffering may, may back off, may not. The causes and conditions, again, that are behind your personal or anyone's personal uh, karmic load of suffering is going to be quite a bit different. And the path allows one, gives one and the opportunity through the vow to be with all things, through the vow to put others before yourself, to uh, begin to address others, how, how they're doing, what they need. So putting others before yourself, one's understanding of suffering, uh, is different. It's not exactly the, the self-centered personal uh, anxiety or stress or depression or fear that shows up in, in uh, individual. So I think it's quite variable, but it starts out as seeing that the vow to be with all things, the vow to put others before yourself, you may still have Difficulty arise in your mind stream, but you won't uh, inter interrupt it or intercept it with not wanting it. You won't intercept it or do anything with it by explaining why it's happening or judging uh, it in such a way that you blame someone for what you're feeling, the difficulty. And you won't uh, intercept it or interrupt it by ignoring it, distracting yourself from it or shutting down. And it's a matter of including, you're, you're including your own suffering. You could say it's just, a, it's not something you're actively doing, but when it shows up, it's, it's like someone coming to the door. It's welcome, they're welcome. The door is open, come in. More? There's fear about, around suffering, that there's active energy holding suffering at bay because I can't imagine feeling the entire weight of that. And I wanna know, how can we develop a willingness to actually feel unmitigated suffering? Yes, just uh, the way it looks is just, and again, it's, it's very individual, very uniquely individual, just continue to return to the vow, return to the vow to be with all things. Just renew that vow daily and until you are that vow. And then when you are the vow, you may suffer, you may not suffer, you may be intensely in pain or you may not, but you, you don't do anything with it. You don't push it away. You don't even accept it. You don't do anything with it. It just shows up because it is dependently risen and it can't find itself anymore. Is there anything to do when the situation right now is suffering? And so far as you can, just receive. Make no comment no response. The other word that I used recently in, uh, in a talk is uh, whatever rises, don't, don't uh, abandon that for something else or there's no outflows. There's no something else. Something occurs, positive, negative, neutral, however it may show up, and you do nothing with it. You don't convert it into some kind of personal agenda about that to get rid of the suffering, to understand the suffering, even to be a better bodhisattva. But the, my understanding of the basis of the path is the bodhisattva vow to serve others. 
is there any way to move through that suffering in a way that allows us to continue to relate to what is around us? So it's situational. We just, as I said before, just return to the vow, return to the particular specific situation that you're working with in your environment with others, with yourself and your own personal subjectivity that may be giving you distress uh, to just stay, stay with, not to maintain, but return to whatever that, whatever that emotion or that suffering, the texture, the quality, the prick, prickiness, prickliness, the, the, the stench, the whatever is arising there to do nothing with it, we'll cover it up. Don't abandon it with commentary about it, explaining it. Nothing with it. Just feel that. There's a mentality of uh, like go it alone, like um, almost like being a, a martyr to how you feel. It can show up. How can we bring in the supports that are on the path into our practice? How do we use those without relying on them? Hmm. Very good. So don't cling to them. Don't uh, try to give uh, give it some kind of stability, but just return to it. So allow yourself, when I say allow, I'm saying just don't do anything with that. Whatever's showing up, that's it. Same thing with when you're practicing shikantaza, sit down, gazing at the wall, whatever's showing up in the mind stream, and don't object, don't agree, and don't look away. And if you do one of those three, just, just observe that. Simply put, this is also happening in uh, when you're walking into the kitchen, when you're, you're in your house or you're with your uh, with Sangha members or other people or you're at the store. Whatever's happening, don't object, don't agree, and don't ignore. Did I get close to what you were looking for? What is it? What it brings up is the idea of communication that you emphasize all the time. And that could be verbal or nonverbal. And I'm wondering about how we work, keep those channels lubricated, like so that maybe there's not saying something, but what is the channel to the Buddha? What is the channel to the Dharma, the channel to the Sangha? And how do we continue mm. to include those? Mm. Good ones. So it's all three of those are probably going to going to show up uh, in your relationship to the world, your relationship to the environment you're in, your relationship to the Sangha, which you meet members of the Sangha all the time. You meet uh, the teacher every day uh, in some form, maybe not in person, but in some way. So Buddha, Dharma, Sangha, just it's the idea of just returning to that, non, not maintaining it, but returning to it. It's uh, as a Suzuki Roshi would say a beginner's mind. It's just you're, you're, you're doing everything over, you're just starting from scratch, starting from beginning on everything. And at some point, now when I say points, I don't mean that there'll be an aha moment or a conclusion. At some point, uh, you will be that, that vow. So it won't be anything. You, whatever, you won't even be any question. You won't have the kind of questions that are showing up here. You may not have had, that I not ask you to sit here and ask questions. So I don't know. But uh, the whole, that whole area of being perplexed by suffering or perplexed by confusion, uh, there's no longer uh, perplexity happening there. Not because there isn't confusion or suffering or difficulty, but there's no longer a, a subjectivity that is somehow making that their property or their problem or their success or their, it's not about them. So therefore, you would be able to actually, in your mind stream, experience very difficult emotions without any anything else arising as uh, that is uh, is there, suffering is there, raw, rugged, um, fiery, heated uh, emotions are arising. To use those uh, ways of expressing, expressing, expressing that, but there's no. No wish to do something else or get away from that or retreat or solve it. So meeting everything right where it's at. And that may in involve some kind of solution if it's showing up in the form of a person that's asking you for help. 
you may need to drop your chemistry set of how to do this and how to do that and come and just meet that where it's at, as threatening as that may be. The, the threat is not knowing what to do. The, the fear that if I actually meet things where they are at, there will be no reference point of how to relate and I can't predict what I'm going to do. So why would you do that? <laughs> why wouldn't you? <laughs> there isn't anything, it's choiceless. You say why, and I'm gonna to respond to that why question. We say that when there, there's no questioner left, up until there's going to be a questioner of what is, what, what is, why, what is this? Why do I have to do this? We're always saying that, why, how do I, who, why, what? We're always perplexed. And what is perplexed? The subjectivity that is wrapped up in a ball of me, 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 and my stuff, the narcissism. I'm not talking about some kind of obvious egocentrism, but that very, very subtle kind where people might meet you and think you're, might not think you're necessarily holy, but they might think you're uh, not uh, presupposing or you're not extending yourself much. So no visible signs of self-centeredness or ego, but you know about them. And those, those areas will continue to come up and they might, they might register complaints and that might've backed off few years ago, you might have stopped blaming others for how you feel a while back. But that's still that feeling of not knowing uh, what to do with it is going to continue to arise. The first, no first noble truth is life is suffering, not part time, it's suffering. And you say, why would you do that? Choiceless to do this. It's either that or go in the circles of Samsara. Go ahead. Can you do that when the, the voice that encourages you to stick to a narrative, continues to talk. Just listen. No, there's no effort to be someone else, show up as someone else or be someone else or have different kind of thoughts or. It seems that when going through this intellectually or conceptually, it might be able to draw some lines to it, but when none of this is clear, how can we function? How can we act when all there is is the movement of the confusion? So that is awakening. And what's there is there's just some kind of uh, objection around the corner, some kind of objector objecting to this. And it is using as its credentials the suffering, the pain, the difficulty. Must be something going on because I, I don't feel so good or this is not comfortable. Must be something that I can something. There's still somebody there that is turning dependent into dependent, arising into an individual problem issue description, personalizing what is happening in your mind stream when it, it is there. The personhood is uh, unreal. Go ahead. Can we communicate our negativity without it? Again, can we communicate our negativity? without it reestablishing or reaffirming that narrative of a self? Yes. Yes, you can. How do we... <laughs> and you you better... recently said on Monday um, something along those lines, like say how you're doing or say how you're, say how you're feeling. And you've also said don't um, kind of just ch chitter about, about practice or, or what's going on. So what is the appropriate way to communicate our, our negativity and our difficulty? You need to say something about it. Um, I guess it's just coming back from, I think it was during the Kalamazoo group, you said, just, you know, say how you're feeling, say how you're doing. So what is it you want to know? I want to know about how to acknowledge a situation which only seems to arise because of a belief in a self and other without it further um, rooting us in that relative narrative. So watch the rooting. And that's where it gets <coughs> some guts to 
go ahead and be foolish. But watch how that takes root. Observe that. That's, uh, that is an area where ego is still trying to get a very subtle credential for accomplishing something or stopping something or being somehow valuable. I'll just stay in the other room. I won't interfere. I know you want egolessness and I'm willing to, I'm willing to help with that. I'll do anything I can to help with the realization, but there's some aspect of identity that is still looking for some subtle result, which is of course, relative truth, which is untrue more. You often talk about come back to your original intention. Is there, is there any way to have an intention on the path that isn't about gaining something? Yes. When, the, when there's no longer an intender, when the intention just is, is just, it's just this, it's just this, and it operates uh, independently. So if there's no one, as, as, as I sometimes say, if there's no, if there's no student and there's no teacher. So when the student shows up, that, that shows up as relative truth. And when that shows up, then the teaching person uh, sees what is needed there and functions appropriately. And that appropriateness may not look so good to everyone else because they have their own ideas about right and wrong and up and down, back and forth, enlightenment and, and confusion. Whereas the true teacher who is teaching out of what they see, out of what they are, out of what they're not separate from, uh, just functions uh, in that particular uh, milieu or environment with the confusion of that person if they have the guts to bring it to the teacher. Because when you bring your confusion to the teacher, you're also, you get close to the teacher, they begin to see who you are and what's happening with you and what your confusion is. And that can be a little frightening. Is there any enjoyment on the path? Can we enjoy? It's totally enjoyment. When? It's not about when. What is enjoyment? It's not a feeling. Those kinds of enjoyment as a feeling is a, samsara is about nerve endings and pleasure and getting what you want and enjoying and celebrating. It's that relative situation. And the opposite of that we know is losing, not getting what you want and all of that. I don't need to go into that. It's fundamentally seeing what this is, no longer agreeing, no longer objecting, no longer looking away, just as you're not separate from anything you see. The, the word that sometimes uh, shows traditionally is bliss, but it's not a feeling. It's not a feeling. <clears throat> Even that word doesn't fit because it's just seeing that everything's completely appropriate. Everything, including the, uh, your own emotional reaction that comes out of you towards someone else. Uh, if you're functioning as a teacher, then that, that may look confused. Sometimes this is, this is why, uh, Tibetan tradition is sometimes called crazy wisdom because it doesn't, it doesn't necessarily look right or confused or correct or, but it's functioning with the uh, dependent origination that is arising as in the case that I'm referring to would be as a student who is confused, brings that to the teacher and how the teacher handles that or works with that. Just like my teacher, Koban Chino Roshi, uh, saw my confusion and saw did, did he tell me this or did I go back and check and see? No, I have no idea, but I, how it looks from my, from what I see now is he saw the intense confusion that I was dealing with and saw the, and, and saw that what, when I asked for something, he needed to reject me so that I would feel deeply the nature of my self-centeredness and my narcissism. And I did more. What, what form does enjoyment take before that understanding arises? Just using the conventional idea. It might not, there might not be much. Depends on the, hmm? is there, is there any softness that can be brought into the path? It's the, it's the softness that's manifesting right here as you. I've been watching you as a student for 10 years. Over 10 now, I think. So 
quite a bit of a change in what was showing up 10 years ago and what's showing up now. You may not see that when I say you, you're, you're still working with uh, the, the path. Even though you're a transmitted priest, it doesn't necessarily confer awakening. You know that. It just means that you know what you know and you know what you don't know and you don't get them mixed up. And you're able to respond to people's questions honestly, <laughs> genuinely, sincerely. Can you say what it means for the teacher not to have any say-so? I can. <laughs> it looks like the teacher is deciding things and it looks like, it just looks like because the teacher is kind of in charge. Uh, Gobin was in charge. Um, it was like insofar as the feather is in charge. But as I've, before, uh, as I've said before, Gobin was like a feather most of the time, but when it was necessary, he just turned into a sword and lopped your head off. So was he in charge? Not, not really. The only words I remember, I remember the tone of his voice and uh, heartbreaking to remember. Um, I would like to ask that same question, the last question she has asked. What does it, what do you mean when you say the teacher does not have any say so? The, the, they don't have say so as an individual person with opinions and ideas and, and evaluations and judgments. A little bit may show up there occasionally, but not much because there's still a body complex here happening. But they, but what they decide if they say, don't do that, do this, happens not out of some kind of evaluation of things. It ha excuse me, it happens out of choicelessness. One, one hears the decision, if, there, if you could call it a decision, about any given situation as soon uh, as it happens. Just like I sometimes say, if you ask me a question or if I give a talk, I hear the talk at the same time you do. I don't really think things up. When that starts uh, happening in that way, it's uh, quite uncomfortable and uh, nerve wracking. Because you know, you can't, you can't help it. You, you, you realize there's no one here anymore. So some aspect of consciousness still may be worried. But as soon as it's worried, it just goes away. And then it gets worried and it goes away. It gets worried and it just vanishes because they can't find somebody who's worried. But the dependent origination showing up as worry still may show up as any kind of difficulty or suffering. Life is suffering. Do you need to turn down the volume? <laughs> I saw you turn a dial. Just making sure it was on. Yeah, it's dependent origination. I yelled, you looked at the on and off switch. More? A different question. Um, what is awakening? You said to Chizan, that is awakening. What is awakening? What was I responding to? He was describing the difficulty. Yeah. And I was that is that's awakening. It's, it's not seen as a, a, a problem as a, in, the, in the great perfection of Zogchen or uh, Longchenpa. There's nothing to repair. You see the way it is, the whole thing is uh, difficult or broken, and you don't fix it. You don't seal it up and go back into relative truth and try to clean it up, change it into something valuable or good that is no longer has hindrances. You just, the hindrances in, afflictions and awakening are, are not separate things. Another unrelated question. What is a bodhisattva? Bodhi means awake. Sattva means being. It's a, um, and <clears throat> Thomas Cleary uh, translates bodhisattva into awakening being. Awakening, which is, a, you could say, uh, uh, my understanding of why he would use that translation or that way of uh, interpreting the word uh, um, awakening. Uh, Bodhi or awakened or awakening and being is awakening being is someone who is as is actually awakening 
because there seem to be stages on the path. And then someone who is just by their functioning is uh, awakening others or bringing others to the path. It's not separate. The, the, the teaching person and the learning person are not separate. They're, they're awakening together. And it's not a process of being asleep and then waking up so much as it's a process of just no longer covering up your awakening. Living in enlightenment now. You won't have a credential for it because if you look for a credential, then you'll think you're not awake. You'll go and you'll buy into the bullshit of relative truth, but what everything is based on in our in our um, uh, society, the legal system and everything is everything, the universities and everything, everything is based on right and wrong, knowledge and no knowledge. <clears throat> basically confusion or relative truth. Not that we don't need relative truth, but when relative truth uh, completely covers up your true nature, your ultimate nature, then we start to live in a, in a warlike situation. We don't understand who we are. We don't really understand who this is. But if you're awake, you understand who this is. No, long, no, more, no more warfare at all with anything, with yourself, with anyone else, and if a battlefield arises in your heart, you don't do anything with it. You don't cover it up. You're not separate from that. But nothing can tempt you into doing anything else anymore, because there. It's not because you don't, might not feel some temptation, but there's no there's no personhood there anymore. There's no solid being. Quite perplexing. More. The buying is a. Um... Bodhisattva, someone who um, you know, the dependent origination is still arising, afflictions are still arising, but they are um, able to see them and not, um, I guess you, you typically say blame others. The Bodhisattva may, it's not so much, so much like they're being responsible, they're not doing anything with it. So there, there's no, the, the personhood, is uh, if you look at it from the point of view of the first Bhumi or, or Pramudita, they're, they're, the reason there is this joy or this uh, revelation or this openness happening is they realize there, there never was a solid being there. And yet the consciousness that is showing up that no longer is finding, is coming out of a, of a separate being, but is coming out of dependent origination, is still caught, its, it's uh, tail feathers are still caught on otherness. There's still some kind of other situation functioning. Sometimes they're called students. And sometimes they're called uh, Buddhas. I have a question for Chazan. Um, when um, Sokazan <laughs> uh, says that uh, you don't know and you or you know what you know and you know what you don't know, how does that show up for you? Or does it? Um, embarrassing. <laughs> That's how it feels. Um, can you know, or can you know when you don't know, Bowen? Yes. King and Bowen, does it feel like you can um, know when someone else doesn't know? Mm, not in the same sense. It, it often shows up when someone asks a question and I immediately know um, you need to ask Sokas on that. Or it shows up when, when they ask a question and a lot of things show up and I could respond, but it would be just to provide a response that there's, there's nothing clear enough showing up that, that comes out. So it just comes out as I don't know. Is there also um, times when there's no response um, and you want to do something with it? Do you end up doing something with it sometimes? Probably. <laughs> I don't I don't feel like it's as clear as a statement, you know what you know and you know what you don't know. It's not it's not as black and white as that. For me at least it doesn't show up that way. Thank you. Is there a particular intention? that's helpful for a student when going into a 
Tokusan. Again, I'm, this is something that I've been asked before, but I would say it's just it's so dependent on your situation. Um, you come in, the idea that you're going to Dokuzan or have an interview with the teacher, um, you are as genuine and sincere as you can be. But there's no, there's no standard to live up to necessarily. <coughs> um, especially in our culture, you know, in ancient times or uh, back when, when the Zen tradition was really was strong and had been ongoing for you know, a long period of time. Uh, might have been a different situation then with practitioners, but now we not only have the Zen tradition, but we have the Kagyu tradition, and then we have this crazy country that we live in, the structure of society here, so the people here are raised in a particular uh, structure of society, and then they stumble into this teaching, going back 2,500 years, they begin to study it, and then all the enculturation that's been happening to you with your family, everything is, is you don't just um, shove that off to one side and have this pure practice. You include all that, so some of that is showing up uh, in the in the uh, in the hojo or in in front of the of the teacher. And the teacher uh, they're also working with that, uh, endeavoring to see what's rather than being uh, born in Tibet or born in Japan and with all their culture coming here as a Cohen. Uh, Komachina Roshi actually started backing off <coughs> the forms. I didn't talk to him about it, but he didn't emphasize uh, even the forms we have here necessarily. Some, but not very much. Whereas uh, Trung Parampaje coming from Tibet, he not only brought the forms from Tibet, but he actually blended those with Zen uh, and with other forms of Buddhism that probably isn't known to people because if you didn't practice in ancient Tibet or Tibet, the Tibet of uh, 75 years ago and come into this country and try to set up a situation for practice that related to uh, a bunch of hippies in the 60s. Uh, when I say hippies, I mean people that were going through that kind of cultural situation, people that would be able to understand the Buddhist, the Buddha Dharma on, on the kind of Western terms instead of, uh, and so all of that being said, long uh, preamble, uh, it would be very situational. It would be how you did that. Uh, I don't set up too many strong forms because I want people to bring to me how they, how I can fundamentally help them. So as a monk, you would come in and do three prostrations and it would be fairly formal in that way, Dokuzan. But as someone who is a, who is a student who is not fully ordained or is uh, fairly new, they, they may just decide to do prostrations. That would be fine. I would receive that. But they also are not a requirement. They would come in and sit down. How's it going? Not too bad. How are you doing? And just kind of talk about stuff, talk about someone's family. May get into Dharma questions. May not. Quite often people say, they might think they're the first ones to say this, but they'll say, um, I really, I want to have a on or I want to have an interview with you, but I don't have any questions. That's still okay? Of course. And then, Hang out. I come in and we'll see what, what comes up. And that happens quite often. So the important thing is if you're a student of this, of the Buddha's Dharma, it's necessary to relate to the three jewels in some way. Relate to a teacher in some way. It's your way. But if you're in ancient Japan or Tibet, there's a certain way you do it. And it's been done that way for maybe hundreds, if not even thousands of years. And you will do it in that, that, in that cultural Construct. But in our situation, which neighbors all around us have no idea what we're even doing over here, they might think we're a Salvation Army or something. Hard to say. Or maybe they think we're Muslim. No, it's hard to say about that because the cultural situation is not, uh, it takes quite a long time for this kind of uh, tradition to take root, you could say. Buddhism's only been in this country. As far as teacher, teachers being here, uh, not just the concepts, but the teachers being here for a little over 100 years. How or when is, I guess, what is the strength of the form mean? And when is it helpful to tighten any form? So the teacher in this situation, this person looks at the 
situation and is aware of what's happening and aware of things that will help to keep this particular mandala together in such a way that is open, has, is ventilated enough that people can, can come in and not have to live up to some kind of crazy standard of holiness and be, get included into the situation uh, so that they can begin to train their mind from where they're at, from in the confusion of being in the Western world, our own particular psychology, socially, and so on. And so, as you've noticed, or anyone who's looked at this situation sees that forms are pretty strong in some ways, and they're they're not so strong in others. In other words, they're not so tight. For instance, if you're, you live here, you've lived here for a few years. How many years? Three? Four years. I'm not good with numbers. Four years. How's it going for you? Okay. Good. <laughs> good. Glad to hear that. So you could even, if someone were to ask you, you could even uh, make a commentary from your perspective how these forms, uh, the way they're handled here, have been helpful to you in some ways. I mean, you're still here, so there's something going on because this is not a prison. Everyone is free to leave at any time, and some do. And there's no, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, a person is free to actually agree to do the forms or observe the forms, but they, they don't obey the forms. You observe, you do the best you can. Uh, if someone comes here and decides they want to study the Buddha's Dharma in a monastery, then we lay it out. These days, Chaitan would lay out, this is what you need to agree to. And then you agree to, to do it, to observing those forms with your whole body, mind complex, your whole form, you come in at uh, 6.45 in the morning, and you begin. But if your body is saying something otherwise, or your mind, we don't ignore that. In tradition, there's more of a militant kind of, you have to do it no matter what. Whereas in our situation, the forms are strong, and if you can, you should do all of them from the point of view of practice. But we also have to pay attention to how, how you feel. We have to respect you, respect your body, respect anyone, and, and trust or, or feel or see or understand that they would be here if they weren't sincere. So how it feels to be here and observe these forms is going to be different. Some people, they just come in and do everything. Anything that's here, they just do it. And sometimes, no matter how they feel. And is that appropriate? Yes. But it's also appropriate to come in and possibly move in another direction. If you move too far in the other direction, then you may talk to me and I might say, you might want to consider living somewhere else because you're too far outside the formal structure where you're not participating in anything. You're no longer functioning as the Doan or the Doshi uh, or the Han and Bell or uh, you know, you're no longer participating in things because you don't feel like it. So that's then, then that's saying, oh, maybe you should do something else. But if you can do some of that, uh, in other words, observe the form as much as you can, but respect how you feel, respect the feelings. This doesn't mean obey them, but leave it up to you. You might say, didn't get any sleep last night. Oh, I won't make it in. I'm sure you've noticed that. You're able to do that here. Um, so I don't know if I got close to what you're asking about. You should get on. That was helpful. I think maybe an area I'm curious about is Say in a dokazan, if we tend to be casual, how I feel like we might be missing an opportunity to be more direct. I'm ready to respond. So I'm going to do it a favor. You ready? The next dokazan you have, I'm going to tighten it up for you. So you can get a feeling of what that tightness feels like. And you tell me if you want me to continue that way. And before I do that, I'm saying, does that work for you? <laughs> you see what I'm saying? I'm not going to be mean to you. I'm not going to take the, the ship bay in there and hide it behind my chair. And when you do something amiss, I whack you with it like that. I'm not talking about that. I'm just going to take this in. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I, I can be a little bit more direct with what I see as your particular neurotic style. And this, I'm, not, I'm saying this to you specifically. Uh, I could say it to anybody, really, but because I could do that with anyone. But I'm saying, because the way you're asking the question, uh, I'm 
it's difficult to, to put into words so much, but sometimes people come in and say, you know, I give you permission, so just lay it on me. I, you know, tell me. It's like they're misunderstanding what what I'm what this function is. I'm here to mirror back to you. But that mirror may not be uh, a reflection of what you think you're emanating. So that's why it's a mirror. You actually get to look at what the teacher actually sees. Recognize that? Do you recognize that? Do you recognize that? I think so. Well, that's why I'm, I'm offering this. You up for that? Mm -hmm. Okay. Further questions? Just quickly before we go to other uh, questions that might be there, is the teaching person, if they're a true teacher, well, you probably hear me say this all the time if you listen to me much, is teaching out of, they don't teach out of a, a book. Say, so let's see, oh, they don't even teach out of the precepts. They know about them, they studied them, that's part of the path. <clears throat> so they, they might not even have them memorized, but they understand what those are pointing at and they, they have spent a lot of time observing those precepts until at some point they become that precept. It's an odd kind of thing because there's no personhood there anymore. So the precept just spreads out into the consciousness that is showing up as an individual person whose consciousness is not separate from anyone's consciousness. This doesn't mean they're reading your mind. This is why it's, it can be as it's sometimes said, sometimes said in the tradition, you get to you don't get close enough to the teacher, you'll get enough heat. You get too close to the teacher, you get burned. And that's not because the teacher has a blowtorch. It's just that the teacher represents the truth. And if you're bullshitting yourself or lying on any level, if you get around the teacher, that is going to be reflected back to you. Not because they're deliberately doing something. They might, may not, the teaching person may not even be aware of how you're being affected. I don't think Coben realized uh, how I was being affected. I don't think he thought back, sat back and thought, hmm, let's see that. That guy's pretty full of himself. I know I'll, I'll just ignore him or I'll, I don't think he did any of that. It might be even closer to say that guy's irritating. I don't want to talk to him. Might have been closer to that. Probably was. But of course, what is that speaking? That's my narcissism. Couldn't possibly dislike me. Maybe he did. Yes. A question from Francisco Luna. Teacher, I wonder about reality. I reflect that it is not possible to know what death is. Maybe I am in the wrong, but given that if one cannot know what death is, then what can one know about reality? So relative knowledge is there and we can do something with it. We can study it. We can be scientists and we can have a fair amount of clarity around that by studying it. The whole idea of the whole word of the reality is, is a very difficult one to approach because it's so incredibly complicated from the point of view of relativity that we can't see the ultimate nature of what this is because we keep breaking it up into its parts. That's like, you know, going to 15 different hairdressers and suddenly realizing you have no hair. I'm sure that example works good. It's like, it's that kind of a thing looking, um, what was it? The movie looking for Mr. Goodbar. Remember that one? You probably don't if you're not old. You're looking for something that isn't even there. You look, you have a you project onto it, and then you look for that projection. Same thing with happiness. You looked at what would make you happy, and then you do that. And then when you get that, or what shows up as a concept that reflects that particular situation, um, you realize you begin to realize in your experience the nature of uh, impermanence, and the nature of no self, and the nature of uh, dissatisfaction. So don't worry about it. Just when it comes time, just die. Well, I don't know who to address this question to, but I, I'm curious as to what yeah. does it mean to arouse bodhicitta? What is bodhicitta first, by the way? I'm, well, it's been translated as the mind of awakening. It seems that it has to do with inspiration. 
I don't know that I have an experience that would be classical, but to me, showing up to sit in the morning is bodhicitta. Um, bringing the teacher coffee is bodhicitta. Raking the leaves is bodhicitta. There's that willingness every day to continue to function in the context of these forms, regardless of how we feel. That there's just something that continues to keep us from hitting the snooze button. On the bowing, um, how is that different than the vow, the intention? I don't know. I don't know that I, that I, I differentiate conceptually. I'm sure that you could differentiate. Well, this is the vow. This is bodhicitta. But I come back to what Sokazan said to me over and over, which is just keep going. And I think that's all I need to know. So if I want to say, well, that's bodhicitta that I do keep going, or it's a vow that I keep going. It's my teacher's voice that has said that countless times, keep going, so I do. How is keep going different or the same as return? Return to the Buddha, return to the Dharma, return to the Sangha. I don't know that they are different. Something that um, I, I read some time ago, Zongsar Kensei Rinpoche said about Dilgo Kensei Rinpoche that just seeing him was the entirety of the teachings. And similarly, just to hear one teaching from a teacher that you know, yes, this is my teacher. That's the entirety. That is the three jewels. That is bodhicitta. That is the vow. So just keep going. Um, to me, that's the entirety of the Buddha's Dharma. Jake Bowie. Um, Along the same line, similar lines to Francisco's question about death, um, what is life, Boeing? Okay, so I, I heard the question, but I want to know what you really want to know. You want to know? Do you want to know how much trouble I'm going to have with answering that? <laughs> I mean, you know, I, I, it's, this is not philosophy, and I don't mean to discount your question, but it, it's just a. I realize you're an intelligent man. I know you would have, if someone asked you that, was, uh, you know, 15 years old or something like that, uh, you know, I'm sure you could come up with some kind of a description of it. And, and I could do the same thing. I can concoct something. Uh, but it's not separate from death. That might be more difficult for you to understand or any of us. It's, it's not separate. It gets its meaning from its opposite, opposition. Uh, Jake Bowing, I wasn't trying to trap you with a tricky question. Um, if life is suffering, as Buddha says, um, then is life the attachment to suffering? Bowing? Yes, it's that, you could say it that way. We The suffering starts, and then when we work with that, we try to cover it up, uh, then... The, the self-centered aspect of the consciousness and the described in the Yogacara tradition as a seventh consciousness, that area of the mind that seems to congeal into a, a some kind of a compartment or a, 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 a safety area where, where everything is protected, uh, some kind of paranoid aspect of the consciousness that aligns with the body-mind complex and is protective and doesn't want to be put upon, doesn't want to be threatened, doesn't want to get into trouble, doesn't want to look bad. And uh, wants to look good, but also doesn't want to appear as they're trying to look good. It's just a very, very complicated area. And so all of those polarities uh, begin to show up when we start to work with the mind. We start to look at the mind through the practice of meditation, through sitting meditation. Our insight, our understanding of anything that's happening with interaction between, between ourselves and other people, between people that we've been we've known for 20, 30 years, and, and it starts to change. We start to see more clearly what they're dealing with. We see the way in which people suffer. We might not be able to reach in and turn off their suffering switches, but we see the way, and we might have more um, um, more appreciation or, or, or sincerity uh, around um, uh, and respect for their confusion because we can see that that's a labyrinth that they're creating, that they're continuing to fuel. And we don't have the right uh, or the tools to step into that uh, situation. So uh, I might be going off away from what you're asking about, but I'm going right toward what I wanted to say. Yohan, go ahead. For back to the question in terms of um, keep going, 
could you, uh, Jason, bowing, could you elaborate more from the mundane um, lens? Like, how does that keep going, show, showing up for you from the mundane lens, bowing? Are you saying outside of practice or outside of the monastery? Yu Hong bowing. It could be because, uh, as you often remind us back to the three jewels, that's our practice, but the mundane level is not, also not separate. So, how does that show up for you to keep going? Bowing. It just shows up as continuing to receive whatever arises, regardless of where it arises or how it arises. So I don't think that there's anything that I could separate from the path or Sokazan's instruction to receive or keep going. Bye. Thank you. Okay, as we can close. May the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. If you value the teachings of Sokozan and you would like to support his teaching work and the functions of Sokukoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, which also supports monk and practice residents, please consider giving a donation by visiting our website at sokukoji.org.